Hello, Nathan. How's it going? All right? Hello, Trev. I'm all right, mate. How are you, buddy? Yeah, I'm all right, Nathan. Hello, everyone. It's Trevor and Nathan from We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. And today, we need to talk about a movie, don't we, Nathan? We do need to talk about a movie, mate. It's your choice this week, isn't it, Nathan? So would you like to tell everyone what movie we need to talk about? Yep. So uh, today, we're going to be talking about, is it 1995? No. Four? 2000, isn't it? It's not, is it? I think so, yeah. No. Yeah. Right, okay. So today, we're <laughs> going to talk about a film that I'm really f- uh, fond of, that came out in 2000, starring Tom Hanks and not a lot else, and it is uh, <laughs> Castaway. Castaway, uh, yeah, great film. Yeah. It does star other people, Helen Hunt's in it. Yes, and a volleyball. And a volleyball, Wilson. Wilson! Steals the show. Doesn't he steal the show? No, great film. Great choice, Nathan. I haven't seen it for ages. It's one that we, my wife uh, as, and myself wanted to show our oldest son. We keep thinking, oh, we'll watch that. So we've made him watch it this week. He really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's good. Good family film. It is a good family yeah, film. Just a, just a great film. Robert Zemeckis directed it. Um, and he's, you know, quite a good director. Best known for Back to the Future films. Right, yeah. And another, well, he's done a couple of films with Tom Hanks. One is Forrest Gump. Right, well, this is exactly, see, Forrest Gump, I was going to mention that because in the late 90s and early 2000s, I was absolutely obsessed with the film Forrest Gump. And to have another Tom Hanks-centred film, now I know that it was directed by the same man as well. It just... At, at that point in my life, I felt that Tom Hanks could do no wrong. Yeah. And this film came out and it absolutely blew me away. Yeah, it's definitely one that you you take it with you, don't you, this film? Yeah. Once you've watched it, you don't forget what you've seen. No. And, um, yeah, great. Uh, we'll talk about it later anyway. I, there's so much I want to say about it. We've got an in, You but, know what? We can make an entire podcast about it. We will, except for this first little bit, where I'm going to talk about other things. Oh, well, you talk about things and stuff that are other than that. Yeah. Well, first of all, yeah. Uh, last week we talked about Donnie Darko. And even though it was one of the most downloaded podcasts we've had, it was quite a popular one. Yeah. Not a lot of people commented about it. Is, is that because we've done such a good job of podcasting on it? <laughs> we must have. They had nothing else to add. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Quinton Woolacre actually said, great movie this. Uh, interesting fact, maybe, there were two soundtracks to this movie, both of which are excellent. The original soundtrack was changed because they couldn't get all the permissions needed. The original selection of tracks was later published as an audio CD after the film became considered by many as cult. Personally, I do ever so slightly prefer the compromise soundtrack that was released on the film over the original. Right. I've got the screenplay and it sort of says what songs... He wants in there, and a lot of them aren't. Yeah, yeah. As he says, the songs that were used, but I think the film's a gem with the songs that. Oh yeah, that definitely. Was in there, don't you, that, um, wow, what is it? The one that's over the end sequence. Um, Mad World. Mad World. Yes. Yeah. You like that? I don't think I was like overly blown away by the song on its own. I think it was just because of the the way it was yeah. in the film. It made me Plays keep thinking the of the film. Yeah. There's a few songs like that in there. Um, I just love the opening song, Killing Moon. Yeah. Uh, I just think that's a great song. Is that Echo and the Bunnymen? It is, isn't it? Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, mate, you'd know more than me. I'd have to look it up. You're usually right about these sorts of things. Tears for Fears are later on in this film, aren't they? Um, so that was the only feedback we had on Donnie Darko. Still worth noting. Yeah. Uh... I'll tell you what I have got, though, Nath. I Before we get on to Tom Hanks and um, this film, yeah. There's a bit of news I heard this week. Two bits of news, actually, that I thought might concern you. Well, not you, but us. And First bit of news is that they've released an image for the new uh, Wes Anderson film. Oh, yeah, good. The new poster. Um, it's called The French Dispatch. Okay. Yeah, I'm and looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. There was a picture and it was like all the actors that were going to be in it. And I'll tell you what, it's quite the cast. It's going to be a good film, I think. Is it all of them in their characters in with the yeah, same colour background? So. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking at it now. Yeah. Oh, old Bill's in there again. Owen Wilson in there again. 
Is that James Franco? It looks a bit like um, the Sergeant Pepper advert. Yes. Poster, doesn't it? That's but exactly yeah. what it looks Look like. Look at that cast. So it could be quite a busy film. Yeah, right. <laughs> I look forward to watching it. Um, and second bit of news is that the uh, Cohen brothers are no longer going to make films. What? Yeah. They may never work together again. How did that come about? I think one of the brothers just says he doesn't want to make films anymore. Um, that's a little bit gutting. That's more than a little bit gutting. Yeah, I think Ethan doesn't want to make films anymore, and Joel is going to direct the next film, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Right. All on his own. So, there you go. The film marks the first time Joel and Ethan have not worked on a movie together. Well, that that is a shame. I mean, they've had... Yeah. A wonderful collection of films. They've had good innings. But, you know, you might not be able to tell when one brother's doing it on his own. It might seem absolutely the same. But that's a bit of a shame, Nathan, isn't it? That is a shame, mate. Yeah. I do, li- I do like a good Coen Brothers film, but also, equally, it is exciting. That, I mean, that poster for the Wes Anderson film is so promising. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a good news, bad news situation there, wasn't it, boy? yeah. But I'm sure it'll be all right. Shit happens, doesn't it? Things change, doesn't it? Times change. That's it. We've still got the films they've made. Exactly. Look at it that way. Yeah, that's it. Glass, um, glasses are full. So, have you watched any films this week, Nathan? I actually, I have watched some films this week. What? And I watched one that I thought was quite notable. Um, and I was like, I really must remember this for when Trev asks me, because he always does have a habit of asking. I watched a film on Netflix called Once. Oh, I saw that twice. Oh. Is, <laughs> no, is that, the, What's is that the sequel? What's it about? So basically, you follow the life of a Irish street performer. Right. And he gets approached by, I think she's Romanian, a Romanian girl in Ireland who is uh, a single mum. And, and it's a real, you get the feeling it's a real low budget film. You can tell by the camera that, you know, the way it's moving, that it's all sort of shot hand held. Yeah. As low and as uh, Velocipasta. Do you know what? <laughs> Possibly as low as Velocipasta, but probably does a much better job of it. Yeah. There's, you know, there's no um, amazing sort of cinematography or special effects or anything like that in it, but the story and the plot is brilliant. Like every time you think you've got it pegged, and the things that I expected to happen don't. And I was like, oh, you know, it's going to be like a, a bit of a romantic comedy. But it's it's not. Like, you know, it's just a nice, real genuine, honest little film. Yeah. The music in it is brilliant. The acting, I thought, was amazing. And, uh, yeah, it's all about the story of how they learn to play, mu- play and perform music together. And they sort of write and perform these songs and make an amazing sort of uh, demo disc. And then where their life's the direction their lives go from there. And yeah, yeah cool. it's brilliant. Sounds good. Well, well worth a watch, I thought. Well, I'll look out for that then, Nath. Once. Thank you. How about your good self? Yeah, I watched a film called um, Lady Bird. Okay. Um, and it's not about Hank Hill's dog. Right. It's an old King of the Hill reference. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everyone's going to get it. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a Greta Gerwig film. Right. I think it was like up for loads of Oscars and stuff back along. In 2017, it came out. And I thought, yeah, it's great. Really sort of quirky, almost like a sort of a Wes Anderson storyline, you know. Yeah. Coming of age comedy drama. It's uh, Greta Gerwig. It's, I think it's basically her truce, her, her story of being a teenager, really. And it's this girl uh, calls herself Ladybird. Yeah. And she goes to this Christian school, but she knows she wants to go to New York to to university, but she's got a really controlling mother and she has this sort of sort of love-hate relationship with her mum. Yeah. Her mum is Roseanne's sister. Do you remember Roseanne? I remember Roseanne, kind of. The woman who plays the sister in that is the mum. Right. Um, yeah, I just thought it was really good. Um, and you can see why it was like up for like awards and stuff just interesting but really short as well nice hour and a half in fact i saw it on the bbc iplayer actually nafe oh get on it was on there for free so we watched that very good cool yeah so that's what i've watched and that's what you've watched i didn't ask anyone else what they've watched no but 
I did go over on the Facebook group and ask them some other things about Tom Hanks. But first of all, I'd like to say this week, as we say, it's your choice. So next week, ladies and gentlemen of the audience, it's your choice. So if you would like to get any suggestions in, you can do it either by dropping a comment on the pinned post on our Facebook group, facebook.com, we need to talk about movies podcast, or you can email us at WN movie talk at gmail.com and just tell us what film you'd like us to watch and review tell us a little bit about why you've chosen that film what you like about it or what you hate about it It might be a film you think is so bad it might be worth reviewing whatever just get in touch in touch isn't it the only small issue with that is by the time that you hear this to give us a shout out for it we will have already recorded the film that you're supposed to be suggesting so the (laughs) suggestion will go go, on to the next month it goes on the list you know we need your suggestions we've got some really good suggestions so just add to it it'd be great and you get a little bit of a shout out don't you a little two minutes of well i wouldn't say fame (laughs) 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 we haven't even had two minutes of fame yet no have we (laughs) no no we haven't but no no it's good like it's really nice reading through what people have suggested because we have similar taste in films very much so and it's very hard yeah to choose the film that we're going to watch and you know every film that we watch sort of Bar Velocipasta, really just, you know, we enjoy it. Do we enjoy film too much? Is that the problem? Do we enjoy films too much to do an honest review? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think we can do an honest review. And, you know, with Velocipasta, he said it was a bit of fun watching it, but we both sort of felt cheated out of a film that week. Yeah. And despite its cult status, it's... Shit. It's like the Emperor's New Clothes of film, isn't it? Right. Everyone's saying it's great when really there's nothing there. There's no substance, is there? Yeah, there's no £35,000 yeah. budget anywhere. <laughs> Fucking shocking. <laughs> but there you go. So, yep, get your suggestions in. Uh, and then I asked the people, this is this is rounding up this up now. This is going into the Castaway review. So I said, Go on, let's talk about Hanks. Has he ever put a foot wrong? What's your favourite film of his? Were there any you didn't enjoy? Answers below, folks. Guess what? N- no one said anything. We've had answers. No Chris way. Balker, yeah, Chris Balker said The Terminal and The Burbs. The Terminal is a great film. I love that film. Yeah, that's Spielberg, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've not watched that enough. I think I've only seen that the once. There's a wonderful scene in it where he goes into the toilet and there's that chap having a shave in the toilet and he just looks over at Tom Hanks and he just goes, do you ever get the feeling that you're just living in an airport? <laughs> He's fucking brilliant. Love that. Because yeah, <laughs> cool. he was living in an airport, wasn't he? Yeah, quite literally. Yeah. Um, right, this is going to be embarrassing, trying to pronounce this name. Bjorg Galesson. Excuse me for trying to read your name. I am terrible at pronouncing Bjorg Galarsson. Easy for you to say. She says, ooh, I remember two movies where I'm not the biggest fan. The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons, based on the Dan Brown books. She says it might have a lot to do with having read the books before watching the movies, which does affect a film sometimes, doesn't it, Nave? Yeah, I don't think you can lay that at the hands of Tom Hanks, though. No, no. Um, The thing with the Da Vinci Code, I said, I couldn't accept that that was Tom Hanks's hair. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. It was definitely not his hair. But then she says, uh, Forrest Gump and Castaway, that man can hardly do anything wrong in my eyes. Yeah, well, there you go. Two My two favourite Tom Hanks films. Another, yeah. another one, uh, similar time to these two films, was Apollo 13 that I really enjoyed. Yeah, that was really good. Ron Howard, who directed um, Splash as well with Tom Hanks back in his comedy days. Is that the Mermaid one? The Mermaid with Daryl Hannah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Fit. Ollie Parry-Jones. Ollie Parry-Jones says, The Green Mile is one of my favourites. He rarely seems to put a foot wrong, except maybe that Irish accent in Cloud Atlas. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. That's a weird film. Yeah, I've still not seen it. It's on my list, Nate. It's on my shelf. 
but I haven't watched it yet. I think the one film that I watched of him, and he was good in it, but I couldn't accept him in was, we've mentioned it in the podcast before, Road to Perdition. Yeah, yeah, Tom Hanks. I just don't get him as a gangster. Just he is too cuddly. He's too, too cuddly and nice, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. So on that note, shall we discuss Castaway? Let's do it. I'm all in. So, Nathan. Trevor. Castaway. As we said, it's Robert Zemeckis of Back to the Future fame, of Forrest Gump fame, of Polar Express fame. That was Tom Hanks as well, wasn't it? Right, yeah. A lot of things sort of link Robert Zemeckis' films. As I watch them all again, I'm like, oh, that's very similar to Back to the Future. And this, again, all about time, isn't it? Yeah. There's that link. The package that Tom Hanks sends himself with the digital display of the clock. It's very similar to the scene where Doc Brown sends Einstein into the future with his digital clock on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? See, I don't see these things so much, but you really sort of pick up on it, didn't you? But now you've said it, yeah. I can't unsee it. It's just something I noticed. Um Oh, yeah, and then when she gives him the watch, in the Polar Express, he has oh. the same watch, doesn't he, that he keeps checking. Yeah, a little pop. Yeah, and he's like, oh, we haven't yeah, got time, yeah. got no time, you know, and time again. Whether that's relevant or not, I don't know. So, Castaway Knife, what made you choose this one? Oh, mate, it's, it's a great film. It's got so many um, elements in it that I really enjoy. I haven't got any elephants in it. You know... When you're going through your busy day-to-day life and sort of the film echoes this, like the chaos of Tom Hanks's normal day-to-day life, he's all over the world. Yeah. You see quite clearly as it leads up and sets up in the um, beginning of the film that he's barely got any time for anything else in his life. He hasn't got time to actually have a Christmas with his, his girlfriend or, you know, soon-to-be fiancé, wife, whatever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... And I think sometimes it sort of speaks to me as a be careful what you wish for kind of a film, you know, because I always wish to have more time to just appreciate everything else that's going on in the world, like the surroundings, the beauty of nature and everything else. And then to have the main character thrust into this uh, isolation on this sort of paradise island in the middle of nowhere with nothing but time yeah. on his hands to appreciate everything. Yeah. It really, it's a film that's just been echoing my thoughts lately. You know, that's what it is, I think. Yeah. Do you think as well, because um, we sort of went through a bit of isolation with the lockdown last year and that, and yeah. I was thinking about that, watching this, thinking how you always wanted that sort of time just to do things, have more time to yourself and not so much time. I don't want to fucking work every day and what have you and then we was at home for like three months like i really enjoyed it and it gave me time to do the things that i wanted and and it made you stop and just take time and i felt really relaxed and i never felt so good mentally as i did during that and now we're back out god it seems to be even more stressful and hectic this side of all that than it did yeah. Before. Life, life's gone from being like a thousand miles an hour to a million miles an hour. Yeah. It's like we're trying to regain those three months. Trying to find time. But then there is something about it when you watch it. And they try to portray in the film sort of some of the nastier points of it, like especially like the issue with his teeth and, mm. you know, the loneliness element and sort of the hardship of just, you know, simple things that we take for granted. Um, but it's still... In no way does it take away from the the lust I have for at least experiencing that lifestyle once in my life, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. Just it, it's a film that leaves me wondering about what could be, you know. Because like they really do build up his life in the opening scenes. Um, you see it always. He's governed by his pager, basically, isn't it? The clock and the pager, yeah, and the filofax. He's barely got time to live he's deeply in love with Helen Hunt's character. Yeah. yeah. Kelly Frears. Frears. They talk about marriage, but she's been there before. She's not so sure. But then he sort of, as he's getting back on the plane, he surprises her with a box and it's obviously an engagement ring. He's going to make an honest woman of her. Yeah. And then as he gets on the plane, he's, I'll be right back. And you just think, don't say that. Yes. That's why this has happened. You've said that. Classic, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, the one fucking thing. I would never say that. 
when I was getting on a plane. I'd never say that. I'd say, I hope to be back soon. <laughs> Especially if you were the main character in a film. Yeah, called Castaway. Yeah, it's just asking for trouble, isn't it? <laughs> but, I mean, what I love about this film is that you, that love relationship, spoiler alert, um, but the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, he's going to, you know, you just think he's going to get back and they get back together. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh no, she's lived, moved on. He's fucked, you know, he's lost that again. And I think when he realises he's lost her again is when he's at the airport and he goes to meet her and the husband comes in, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Talking to her. He's a dentist. Just a massive irony, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. But you see, Holly. he looks out the window and he sees Holly Hunter talking just as the plane's going past again, isn't it? Like the uh, FedEx plane is taking off again. Yeah. And you just, you hear that whistling engine whistle and it's just like that whole plane crash scene that was all you heard that whistling all through that and it just reminds you it brings you back to that when you're watching it and you're thinking this is his life crashing again this is his second plane crash you know yeah that was one massive event that changed everything and this is the second event in his new life but you know? But also, like both events are total liberations as well. Yeah, they he wouldn't never have chosen to be without her, but yeah, he has got to move on, but not without seeing her. He does have to see her first, yeah. Doesn't he? And there is, I mean, moving scene where he goes to see her, but and then I mean, even watching that first of all, I'm like, oh no, and she gets in the car, and you're like, no, you wouldn't, and then no, it's morally wrong, and they both know it, and. Yeah, she has to stay with her family and he has to let her go. It's such a hard scene to yeah. watch. I know he jumped on a bit here. No, but, but they, you know, they do, they do have to let each other go and it's good that they realise that. It's nice that the love between them was never lost and, yeah, it's unfortunate that it can't be continued, but it's also nice that they recognise the reasons that it can't be continued, you know. But yeah, mate, honestly, when, when they're sort of building up his life in the beginning, it is just absolute fucking chaos. Yeah, and even the Christmas scene, it's like everyone's chat. It's really busy, isn't it? And it's, you're almost like you're listening over the sound of everyone else to all these, to their conversation. Yeah. And it's so natural the way they're dropping the information and saying their lines. It's, uh, I love that. It's a great little scene, real, well constructed. Just everything is set up, isn't it? To, you know, look, this bloke needs saving from himself. Yeah. Like, you don't think that he's anything other than a nice and decent guy, but he's just got so sucked up into work. And and the thing is, is we can all be so guilty of getting sucked up into work and not not generating time to live our lives and getting the balance all the wrong way around. Yeah. I don't want that in my life. You know what I mean? I want there no. to be time for unplanned spontaneity i want there to be adventures that happen outside the perimeter of yeah, work yeah, you know definitely but yeah and it's oh my god the uh so when he, when he gets on that plane and as you said he says that little sort of i'll be right back and you know from that moment on it's just like no you won't <laughs> you know given given the title of the film yeah. and everything you'd be hard pushed to have missed what's what's coming but the uh oh my god the plane crash scene is just oh chaos i love it it's so well shot it is it is so well shot um i can't remember who said it but i remember hearing someone say robert zemeckis is the best action director who's never made an action film and i mean look at the back to the future you know some of the scenes in that are fantastic and they like the action scenes and stuff how they're well structured yeah yeah he got you on the edge of your seat uh and in this this plane crash in this it's just one of the it's epic there's no music over the top of it. That's what it is. It's just the sounds of the flight. It's just chaos. And it's just that, like I say, that rushing air and that engine just whining and whistling. And yeah, just when he's like looking out the front and he just sees the sea, the ripples of the waves in the distance. And you're like, freaking heck. And I mean, even once they've crashed, and then he's like stuck in the sea and it's it's all natural lighting. There's no cinema lighting, is it? It's like lit by the the lights in the plane or lit by flame as the plane's on fire yeah. or lit by the lightning as the 
plane once the plane sunk and it's all really natural and uh yeah just amazing the effects are amazing for the time it really so almost that whole scene i felt like i was holding holding my breath oh yeah no doubt especially yeah. when he's trying to when the plane's sinking and he's trying to unhook the um life raft thing and he's trying to get to the surface that's it's almost like um in abyss where uh matey boy's trying to sort of bring that fluid up yeah yeah where when he's taking that helmet off and you're sort of almost gasping with him are you almost holding your breath with tom hanks until he gets to the surface and you think there's gonna be a relief and then when you get to the surface there's even more chaos there's this carnage of bits of plane crashing and falling and that big turbine engine sort of coming over towards him and he can't get the raft up the right way and oh god yeah Yes, manic. It is manic. I, I saw in an interview with Tom Hanks or a documentary about Castaway, and Tom Hanks says, you know, if he just survived that plane crash, yeah, that plane crash is the most harrowing moment of his life. But now he's got to live on an island with a prospect that he may never see anyone again. Yeah. And yeah, you never think about it like that, do you? You think the plane crash is harrowing, and it, yeah, it's it's insignificant to what he's then going to go through, almost. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. It's- so once he's on the island, I love how the writer William Broyles, because basically the film Castaway was an idea by Tom Hanks. He read an article all about FedEx and how many. FedEx planes fly over the Pacific each day. Yeah. And he had a thought in his head that thought, oh, what would what would happen if one of those planes went down? And then he was a bit obsessed at the time with the thought of being able to survive. Right. And he thought, oh, I put the two together. What if someone survives that plane crash and then they're stranded on this island? So he approached, I think he approached William Broyles, the writer, first. Yeah. And... William Boyles basically went and lived on an island and had to survive just to see what motions he went through in order to write the script. Yeah, yeah. So he sort of went through that. And this is before, like, your Bear Grylls Island and what have you. But all the things that happened to him in this, maybe not the teeth, I don't think he smashed his own tooth out with a with a with uh, an ice skate, but he said that when he was on the island, a volleyball washed up on the shore. Yeah. And that was the, you know... The Wilson element. The Wilson element. You'd think that would be a natural part of it. Yeah, Desert yeah. Island bloke gone mad. What what a touch Wilson is in this film, isn't it? Yeah, it just it's fucking brilliant. And that's a credit to Tom Hanks as well, because Tom Hanks really brings him to life in his behaviour. Yeah. But it's just... It's, it's great as well how, like, the character is obsessed with parcels and getting them where they need to be and sorting them and organising them. I love watching him collecting the parcels. Oh, he just he just can't think of anything else to do but sort of sort of read them and sort them into little piles and organise them on the beach, even though there's they're literally they're going nowhere. Because he gets to the island and his page is redundant, but it doesn't stop him working, does it? He's just like, oh, if I do get saved, these uh, people are going to want their packages. <laughs> it takes him a while to snap out of it and sort of realize the gravity of the situation doesn't it yeah and to realize that whatever he needs to survive these packages might hold that and i like that how everything he pulls out he uses yeah yeah. at some point like the videotapes he makes rope yeah but um going back to wilson for a little while i just think the scene where he loses wilson once he's out on the raft yeah the shot of tom hanks sobbing is one of the most heartbreaking things you'll ever have to watch on the cinema, isn't it? Yeah. Real heartfelt sobbing. It's like, I remember that just the impact of that the first time, but even watching it again, like last night, when he lost Wilson at first, and I was like, oh, it hadn't really affected me as much as it did before. That's weird. But then it cuts to the shot of him floating, and he's just sobbing, and it's, oh, my God. Really cut to you, you know. It really it's um, cuts you deep. A more heartfelt scene. Not that the the other scene was were poorly acted, but you feel for him more for his loss of Wilson than you do for his loss of his potential wife. Yeah, his, the <laughs> love do. of his life. You, you know, yeah, it's the most crushing scene in the film, and uh, uh, loses the ball, but then he loses the will after that. Yeah, as well, that's it. it. And it, you just see him just ah. Uh, 
literally that painful choice where he's almost drowning trying to get to Wilson and he's <laughs> he's losing the rope to his raft and he doesn't want to leave the raft. And then, like you say, just yeah. watching a grown man sob so convincingly when all is lost in the world and that one little thing, that little friend of his that was keeping him sane is just bobbing off into the distance is our yeah. heart-wrenching but isn't it amazing what people take away in from the film because if you say tom hanks cast away to anyone nine times out of ten they're going to come back to you with wilson <laughs> exactly it is one of those moments in cinema isn't it yeah it's a stroke of genius and when it's all frayed at the end and he's got it up as hair and sort of when they have that fall out and he, you can see <laughs> it throws him away yeah know. but he also like the significance of the fact that when he redraws wilson rather than using anything else he's been using the paint in his cave or anything like that he actually sort of draws his own blood and does it again yeah it is part of him isn't it yeah personal thing he wilson is his own blood yeah it's uh yeah 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 great little touch that but yeah then um oh sort of christ the the most painful elements at the start of it i love the scene as well where he's he's discovered the coconuts what the sound is that's falling around him oh yeah he keeps uh, he hears it doesn't he? and he's like what is that <laughs> and th- freaks him out at night doesn't it when he hears it and he's like looking out of his little hole yeah and then sort of uh just like literally the dawn of man sort of moment where he's trying to beat it with that rock and then that rock breaks and then he gets that sharp jagged little rock yeah it is it's like the uh 2001 isn't it when they realize what the bone can yeah, do bomb bomb <laughs> bomb bomb but yeah he gets into the coconut and i love the way as well when he's like realizing there's no clean water and the only place he can find water is on the leaves. Yeah, yeah. And then he's collecting it in the coconuts and that. There's some real... Some of his ingenuity is amazing. But I suppose if you was in that situation, you'd be like, right, what can I do? I need a receptacle. And also his maths is amazing. When he's working out, like, where they're... <laughs> the search radius and he's written it all on the wall and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think, how'd you fucking work that out? <laughs> amazing. Oh, mate. I love his little calendar as well, you know, that little yeah, figure of Yeah, with a little hole that comes out, a uh, little hole in the cave roof, isn't it, where the sun comes. You can see over time the grooves that he's properly worn into into that calendar. Yeah. And sort of the way that he's always he's always drawing something, like, you know, he's, he's trying to sort of draw Helen and sort of, I don't know, like, what do you do when... Because at the, at the start, you imagine that you you just have no spare time because every spare minute of your day is going to be sorted to survival. You know, it's going to be committed to your survival. But he gets so... Efficient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that he sort of gets so efficient at existing that he generates spare time for himself. I do love that transition when it goes from like sort of lardy Tom Hanks where, they, you know, he's in the build-up to the film, he's let himself go. Yeah. And I think when you see him in Forrest Gump, you know, he looks... More like he does at the end of this film, doesn't he? Yeah. So you can see, I mean, he's a big fella now, but this is like the first sort of stage in his life where he's gone to that sort of size, isn't it? Yeah. And then to see him go back to being Tom Hanks from Forrest Gump again at the very end. But I love the transition where it goes four years later and you see that fish and then the spear comes down. It pans up to him and it's just... He's the wild man. Yeah, he's, but he's uh, miles away from where the spear is as well. Yeah, it's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I love the bit as well is the, the whole, like him peering out from behind that rock when he hears that that um, part of that porta potty smashing on the rocks there. Yeah. And he's like, he's poking at it with his spear as opposed to touching with his hand. He's like, he's gone full wild at that point, isn't he? He's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Love the way he played it. Yeah. And he stands that portaloo up and you think, oh, at least now he can shit in private. Yeah, I know. That must have been doing his fucking <laughs> head in. <laughs> but yeah, because they, they took a year out of filming this, didn't they, for him to go and lose weight. Right. Um, and then they all came back to the island to film the end. Yeah, I mean, 12 months without cake is a long time without cake, isn't it? I like the scene as well where they throw the party for him and they leave him and everyone clears off and... He's just surrounded by all that seafood. <laughs> it's just like yeah. massive irony. Yeah. And the wastefulness of, of modern existence as well. And when uh, yeah. 
just simple things like when he's curled up beside his bed and he's clicking the lamp on and off, looking at Helen's photo and his watch. And when he clicks that, that cigarette lighter on and off and it's just like, oh, fire would have been so simple with one of these. But the, <laughs> you, it flicks you back to the painful scene that he went through. Oh, my God, his excitement, his elation in that scene was brilliant where he sort of yeah. finally discovers how to make fire, like isn't he? cheers it? that he's made fire and his voice is all cracked and yeah. it really sounds like he hasn't spoken for days doesn't it but yeah just you're really no. rooting for him. it's just brilliant i love watching the scenes on the island and he's not actually on the island for all that long it goes fairly quick when you're watching it yeah it's still great it's about more than that isn't it it's like him dealing with it all afterwards and, and oh my god the scene where he goes back up the mountain to get the rope oh yeah the way it's shot and the moody sky and that when he's up there as well yeah but even the scene where he goes up the mountain at the beginning to have a look around the island, you realise it's nothing, you know. He's, yeah. It's a tiny little island he's stuck on. But when he pulls the rope down and, yeah, the tree broke and the rope was still tied up, though. Yeah. And you think, did you need to make 30 metres of rope to hang yourself from a cliff? You know, the the rope is touching the rocks at the bottom <laughs> of it you know yeah i think maybe he's just guessing the length because you want to fall as far as possible so it's a proper clean break like you know what i mean right yeah the, like the shock the jolt he's not just trying to sort of slowly suffocate himself he wants the jolt to be strong enough to make it quick i guess but yeah just i mean i think he would have died pretty quick either way but he's i you know, I think it was just symbolic of that internal battle within him that he didn't really want to, but it's an option that he's exploring, but he has to explore it in his, his methodical, calculated way, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, yeah. Which is, is painful, but yeah, I, that sort of scene where he's sort of bickering with Wilson about knowing where the rope is and not wanting to go back up there and not wanting to revisit the darkest point of his time on the island, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he, he works it all out, doesn't he? How to make rope, you know, making that raft and then realising when the portaloof blows over that, hang on a minute, you know, this will get me off that island. Because, I mean, his first attempt at getting off the island on the dinghy, when he sees that light. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a moment I don't want to relive. No. He, he, he proper punches his leg on that. Oh. It's a real savage shot isn't it yeah it's almost like that shot <sighs> and and the tooth removal proper cringing moments yeah. isn't it? i think that one worse than the tooth removal you think so me. i think the fact that they slowed the tooth down i think it would have had more effect to me if they'd have just panned away oh then have it all slow down and then in fall and it's that i think it's that high-pitched ting when when he hits it, that just oh, it sends a shudder right through my head. I can't. Oh my it's God. almost uh, 127 hours. That sort of almost sharp violin sort of <laughs> when he's fucking twanging the tendon with his knife and that sort of X-ray vision of what he's doing. It's like, oh, fucking hell, what are you doing to me? Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. But yeah, so I mean. Yeah, his first attempt, like he sort of tries to makeshift the raft as best he can into something saleable and you just see him paddling frantically. And before he's realised it, as a viewer, we've all realised it's futile. Like even if he gets out there, he's got nothing with him and there's no way he's going to catch up to that ship. No. You know, then they're, they're not going to see him. And, uh, you know, it's just manic, sort of all is lost, hopeless, frantic, sort of pointless expression of um effort just trying to get out there yeah and oh god yeah when he gets thrown back oh just so painful fuck and his scream underwater as well that was mm. oh my god harrowing it uh, it doesn't hold any punches does it this film no but you know it's it's but it, at the same time it's not horrendous it's a really enjoyable watch and like i say we watched it well with our oldest son but it's just a great film and i sort of said to my mum, i was reviewing castaway this week and she doesn't like anything violent or gory but she was like instantly oh that's a brilliant film you know it is a brilliant film it is yeah it's it? great i mean i can't believe it's actually been so long since i watched it last i i, I just put that down to there being so many films you know and that's a, that's another good reason we're doing this isn't it Nate? so we can 
re- have an excuse to revisit the films that we don't always get around to, isn't it? Yeah, the thing is, right, the thing that absolutely baffles me every time is because it comes back round to your choice so quickly and you think there's no way a month has passed since I chose a film last. There's so, there's so many films to choose from that you think to yourself, how the fuck am I going to pin this down? <laughs> I you know, know what I mean? I know, and I'm sort of jotting up on the calendars as it's going, what we're reviewing and what's coming up. And I'm trying to like put mine up weeks in advance. So I've got a choice. I'm just going to put it down. And then when we get to it, I'll do it. And my calendar on my weeks at the moment is just like loads of scribble. (laughs) So that hasn't worked because I've changed my mind so many times. Talking again, sorry, about uh, links to Robert Zemeckis' films and sort of things that flash back and flash forward. Doesn't Forrest Gump get, like, hooked on Dr. Pepper? Have I remembered that right? He doesn't get hooked on Dr. Pepper, but he... um, Drinks a lot of it. Yeah, he goes to the White House. There is a Dr. Pepper thing. Yeah, and he's like, since number one, they was I I wasn't hungry and thirsty, and number two, they was free. I must have drunk me about 15 Dr. Peppers. I knew there was a Dr. Pepper thing, because he... Doesn't he give him Dr. Pepper in this? He does, yeah, like, yeah. Wow, that's... Why is he... Why does that seem familiar? Does he drink Dr. Pepper in Forrest Gump? Yeah, yeah. And another one of them flash, you know, one of those meets, uh, links. He, he meets Kennedy, doesn't he? And uh, then all he can say to him is he's squirming up there. And he's oh, like, he needs a wee, doesn't he? I, I do believe he said he got to go pee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the scene where he meets Kelly's husband, I mean... Oh. That chap's not very tactful, is he? And no, so awkward, isn't he? No, but I, you kind of get the feeling that sort of it was thrust on him at the last minute because she went there to meet him and then couldn't, yeah. and then sent her husband in instead. But what a thing for him to, for them all to have to go through. Helen and is it Helen? No, Kelly and her husband. Yeah, you know, she says he, he's you're the love of my life to Tom Hanks later on. Yeah, the husband must know that, you know. It's not like it was a relationship that ended because they split up. No. You know, and then to have him turn up, it must be like threatening. And yeah, it must be a strange old scenario to have to deal with. Yeah, you know, and you you got a feel for the husband in that point, you know, because he's he's not asked for any of that. You know, he's, he's started a life with a woman that to his mind was totally available and they've got a family and, you know everything going on and they've got this nice house out in the burbs and sort of all of a sudden, like you say, to have this threat of the love of your wife's life, just rock up again after four years of Mm. having his life on pause and then clearly want to see her again. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely going to feel threatened by that. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's added to his, his abruptness, his, his tactless sort of approach to it because I guess maybe you would want to be quite blunt of sort of, you know, I'm sorry this all happened to you, mate, and I know it's been tough, but, you know, this is how things are now and you need to learn to deal with that. I can't say that I'd be any different in that in that case, you know? No, no. And, like, when he's talking to Kelly at home and he says, let me get one thing straight. Yeah. And you, it's just another hold your breath moment, isn't it? Yeah. Her face just reaction is brilliant and she's like shit we're going to spell it out black and white here yeah and he's that long pause and you're all like oh god what you know what is she going to say and what is he going to say and then he goes on to talk about football so we have a pro football team now yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. but it stops her in her tracks doesn't it it's just really well acted just that line just holds so much gravitas yeah, it, you kind of feel like did he did he plan it and plan that pause just to sort of provoke some sort of emotion from her just to see how she truly thought, or was he thinking about saying something else and then seen a reaction and then thought, no, I'll I'll just sort of make a joke of it or something. I don't know. You can read so much into that one line and that one reaction, can't yeah. you? I do. I do really like the scene where he goes to see her at home at night and she's already awake and she's seen him arrive and sort of she invites him in and she's being as helpful and as kind as she possibly can to almost sort of cover or shy away from the fact that she knows that really she can't be his as much as she wants to, like, you know? Yeah, it's... and he, he knows it as well. Because at the end of the day, he's Tom Hanks, isn't he? Yeah. He's uh, <laughs> he's a good guy. He knows they can't go any further. He can't 
break a family up, can he? No, no. He's not that type of No, person. exactly. Like, you know, and you know in your heart of hearts that there's no way he'd want that, even if that was on offer. And I, I don't know, that sort of freedom in that moment where he sort of says it, you sort of, you're almost relieved and you're like, oh, thank fuck, because I don't want to dislike you. And that would possibly made me dislike you. And um, it frees you up as the viewer yeah as well as freeing him up in the storyline doesn't it yeah it does it does because you do feel when you're not sure which way it's going as much as you think you know yeah you love her it was unfair you're thinking you can't fucking split that family up your respect for him would and for her would just dissolve wouldn't it if that happened yeah yeah exactly yeah but it's great the fact that they taunt you with it yeah yeah, you know, films back then probably had more happy endings, you know, and he gets off the island and everyone, oh, he's he's back with his wife. It's a great reunion and that's the end sort of thing. And I, I was sure that was going to happen. And I think even when I saw the trailers yeah, for the film, I was like, I wasn't keen on watching it when it first came out, I must admit. Yeah, I can see where it's going. And like I said earlier, it really... I'm glad they didn't make those choices. It is a far better and far more, not just realistic, but you got that package in the plane and with the wings, the angel wings, and that becomes a symbol through the film. And of course you've seen that in the opening scenes, the first package we see. Yeah. The FedEx guy turns up to pick that package up for her, doesn't it? It's not that package, but he, she posts a package and you follow the package listening to Elvis and then it goes in the truck and then it opens up at Moscow. Yeah. Gets delivered to her husband. Well, you see the bloke answer the door, take the package. He's got his missus there. You think it's his missus and then... Yeah. Oh, what's the package? Oh, it's from my wife. And you just think, what a cunt. Yeah. But it, those wings on the package and those wings in her garden like that she's sculpted. Yeah, they keep coming back up, and it sort of like gets him through the film, doesn't it? These angel wings—it's the one package he can't, he doesn't open. Yeah, it's because it's got that personal touch on the front of it, isn't it? It's sort of yeah, it's not sterile like the other packages. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's cool that he sort of saves it, and oh, that's for me. That's the saving grace of the film, as it leaves on that. Not no, it's not a saving grace of the film. The film's brilliant anyway, but it's a wonderful touch at the end of the film where he's left at that crossroads as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like yeah. metaphorically and physically. And he's got that choice to make and he doesn't know which one to make. And he's oh, you can just see that little bit of curiosity in his face as he sees the wings on the back of that pickup truck drive past, like, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, you, you, you like to think that that's, that's fate. You know, yeah. the wings gave him hope for all that time. He's left her that note saying, you saved my life. And, you know, she's had a shit time of it. Her husband was a prick. Yeah. Hopefully they're not together anymore. Um, Although it has been four you years. Know, but Yeah, it has been four years. She's probably found someone else by now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, you've got that sort of, um, you know, they set it up at the start. And obviously you're aware when he gets to that junction that she might not be with someone and that's the thing there's all those unanswered questions at the end of it and that's what i really enjoy about that it's all suggestions yeah isn't it? it's all really yeah it's great but yeah you want to see tom hanks happy so you think yeah he's got to i mean uh, he even painted the wings onto the the sail doesn't yes he? yes he does it's just yeah. great symbolism in there it's, it's it's hope isn't it when he sees those wings it gives him hope doesn't it in, in my mind he definitely turned around went down that dirt track and had a cup of tea with that lady you know what i mean yeah yeah they're they're together now mate all these years later you know how things turned out for him yeah and he's he's happy to just stay on that farm in the middle of nowhere yes away from it all now you know yeah that's it his change of pace he's got companionship but he's he's lost the clock he doesn't want to go back to that lifestyle you know yeah yeah it's exactly, it's all there for him now, isn't it? Yeah, and that's it, and it's cool. But it's brilliant that they didn't need to spoon-feed it to you. Like, you know what I mean? You don't, no, you, you don't need to see that happy ending. And no, no. But yeah, mate, honestly, start to finish, it's a film that totally engrossed me. And even watching it now, 
literally couldn't take my eyes off the screen. Like, you know what I mean? No, it's a good one. And, it, you know, there are some films that we're watching again for this that I don't pause because I know them quite well uh, when I go to the toilet or whatever. But still, with this one, definitely hit pause and come back to it properly. Like, yeah, you know? I know what you mean. Yeah, I had to pop out last night to sort sort the kids out. And usually if I leave the room, I'm like, Don's like, should I pause it? And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine. But this one, I was like, yeah, just pause it a minute. Yeah. <laughs> exactly the same. Um, it's a bit of a bit of an advert for FedEx, isn't it? And I mean, they say that job applications for FedEx went up by 30% after the release of this film. Wow. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't feel that it was uh, an advert for FedEx, but I think sort of because FedEx was probably one of the most well-known companies for doing what they do, I think it would have been foolish to try and make up a fictional company because it wouldn't have had the same sort of impact. No, no. But yeah, there is an awful lot of FedEx in the film. (laughs) An awful lot. Um, uh, What was I going to say? say? Um, Come on, bro. Hit me with some fucking trivia. Do you want some trivs? Uh, Give me some trivs. All right. Uh, What's uh, Tom Hanks' name in this film, Nave? God, fuck. Frank... Chuck. Chuck. Chuck Noland. Yes, Chuck Noland, yeah. Or C. Noland. Right. C. Noland. C. Noland. Oh, my God. Eh? Eh? See, it's all a bit of... (laughs) When you look at it really like that, they do lay the uh, symbolism and that on thick, but it's hidden in plain sight, isn't it? It's great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... What else is there? An early draft of the script had Chuck having two different personalities talking to each other. Good Chuck and bad Chuck. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked. Sort of like a sort of like a Gollum-y thing. Yeah, I don't know if I like yeah. that. I think that definitely would have taken away from the film. Yeah. Right. I was saying earlier, we so we always review films and we they're films that we want to watch again. So obviously there's a lot of love. Uh, maybe some people would listen to this podcast and think, they're never constructive they never say anything critical critical could you say anything critical about this film Nathan? is there anything there that you think yeah there was one one piece that sort of took away from the film for me and that's when he's on his little raft at night and he's that he gets accompanied by that whale and the whale comes up beside the raft to look at him yeah and you just like it's a real nice moment and then it is so shit the way the whale fades back into the water when it sinks down it doesn't look real does it yeah it just disappears it just dissolves <laughs> there's no ripple in the water or nothing it's just like yeah oh, i well, thought the same thing well that was fucking awful but there was a few moments where the cgi looked a little bit ropey when he's on the the raft as it's this, as the sail goes up and he's going up the raft. Yeah, yeah. That looked a bit fake yeah. to me. It sort of jumped out a bit. It's still quite early days for CGI, though, isn't it? It is early days. You could watch um, Star Wars, A Phantom Menace, and like most of the film looks fucking awful now, you know? Yeah, yeah. So at least this is sort of subtly uses effects. And, I mean, this is around the time when effects were starting to sort of be a little bit more subtle and it's the things in the background and that that they put in or take out that you don't notice is where the effects go isn't it in films like this and the scene like with the stars all the stars above him when he's pissing yeah and he sees the boat light and you can see by the way that he's lit yeah that it's filmed day for night so they've obviously used imageries of you know imagery of the stars composed onto or he's composed over the the stars yeah because it's obviously filmed day to night but it's things like that it's and i mean they was doing that before but more analog yeah, ways yeah. of doing it but now it's all starting to be digital and uh yeah some great bits but other than that there's not really a lot that i could think of to criticize in this film no i mean that's that for me is really nitpicking i just Honestly, it sprung to mind because I think it's where my mind was at at the time. But also, it just oh, it's just such a good film. Yeah, I chose it because I loved the film. Yeah. I would be hard pushed to crit- criticise Yeah, it. I'm the same. I think, you know, I do have a lot of love for a lot of these films that we're doing. And um, 
<laughs> maybe as we get further down the list and we start choosing films sort of sort of out of our our list of films we want to watch necessarily and then films that we feel that we should watch we might find more to criticize but yeah yeah at the moment i'm just enjoying watching these films i do love a good film and Robert Zemeckis to me, he had a bit of a bit of a shit start to his career, and he almost fucked it all up. But in later days, he's he's made some fantastic movies. I think you know he is he's up there with Spielberg for knocking out some proper good films. Well, this one knocks it out of the park for me, mate. Yeah, and he's always very he loves CGI, and like I say, he done the Polar Express, he done that Christmas Carol, and he done what's the film? Um, Beowulf, have you seen that? Yes, I've seen Beowulf. Ray Winston yeah. plays the Viking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but before that, he'd sort of meddled really successfully with animation and live action with Roger Rabbit. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Yes, yeah. That was Robert Zemeckis again. No way. And in this film, they like I say, they took a year out between filming the beginning and the end of this film yeah and in between that he went and l- filmed what lies beneath right yeah have you seen that i don't know Is if that i Harrison have ford and michelle pfeiffer i think a little, oh, little horror film yeah 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 i've seen the start of it i haven't watched the whole film yeah but he directed that and i'm sure as well didn't he direct uh death becomes her have you ever seen that oh god have i i think i have long 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 time ago that's um Goldie Horn, Meryl Streep, where they yeah. want to be young, and Bruce Willis comes around, and they're both trying to impress him, and they take some potion or something. Yeah. But it makes them dead, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, is there a scene and where they... one of them falls down the stairs and sort of like... Yeah, they just get mangled up, don't they, throughout the film? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not one of his best films. I'm sure we could find lots to criticise in that. But, I mean, this is impeccable. Back to the Future, which he wrote, with uh, Bob Gale. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the most faultless scripts in a film, isn't it? Yeah. I just think that everything in that script and everything in the background in that film, everything on the screen sets up the future and the past and it's things that happen in the past affect the future and it's all pre-echoed and, oh, it's just a great film. Yeah. One day, Nathan, do that. I'd struggle to get my head around writing something like that, especially to the degree that they did. <laughs> it's great, but it's all just fun, and uh, yeah. it just works really well. And then Forrest Gump, just, again, he's playing with the yeah. technologies again, wasn't he? Because some, like, the, the Vietnam scenes and that, like I was saying earlier about him being an action director without actually making action films, but those Vietnam scenes was amazing in that, didn't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? And it's, oh, you know, and that's... And it's clear what they've done, but it's brilliant how they've superimposed Forrest into the meetings with the presidents, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's great. And it was all groundbreaking at the time, wasn't it? It hadn't been done. Yeah. Stuff like that. And I mean, like, um, Lieutenant Dan's legs. Yeah, yeah. I literally, you know, I was them. so convinced that the, the actor genuinely didn't have legs. I was like, there's no way they've been able to get rid of his legs like that. What they've done is they've actually put his fake legs on him in the first scenes. Yeah. I, I literally, I couldn't get my head around it. Yeah, there's, so he's always had that push for playing with effects and seeing how far he can take the realms of fantasy and what's believable and what's on the screen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and like I say, it makes a great action film without making action. And actually his first, like I was saying earlier, is, is he had three chances to make a film in Hollywood. Um, and he made two films that sort of flopped. Yeah. And Spielberg produced them both. One was all about the Beatles. I want to hold your hand about fat, fanatic teenagers going to see the Beatles. Yeah. Another one was called Used Car with uh, Kurt Russell. I watched both of them last year and they're not that great. Um, and then he wrote 1941 with Bob Gale for Spielberg. And it was Spielberg's first comedy. I think his only comedy. And it was his very first flop. Right. And it was at that point where Zemeckis was like, he could might never work again. And he had Back to the Future. And then Spielberg said, oh, we're making it. And he's like, no, you've given me three chances. And I've let you down every time. And then he went off and made... Um, romance in the stone yes yeah 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 i mean that's a great film and that just saved his career then gave him the 
sort of free pass to go and make Back to the Future, and the rest is history. You know, yeah, still going yeah. strong now. So, Fair play to him. Anyway, that was a bit of nerd geekery. I mean, I was going to save all that for when we do uh, Back to the Future at some point, Nath, but here it is. Well, we, Shits and giggles. We can bring it all out again in Back to the Future. <laughs> we will. We'll do that one day. I look forward to it. Anyway, Nathan. Trevor. I've really enjoyed this choice of films. Thanks ever so much. Thanking you for letting me uh, have the choice and thanks for watching it with me, mate, and sharing your thoughts. No worries. Um, so next week, it's audience choice again next week the star of the show could be you as jeremy beadle used to say didn't he <laughs> didn't he used to say it with his little funny claw hand oh poor old jizz so anyway yeah so next week your film so thank you everyone goodbye chase chase <laughs>